Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. I'm James McSorley. I'm joined as always by Mark Schofield. Mark, what's happening? Not a great deal. What's happening with you? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, I had a. This is the question that I really should have prompted you with because you'll need time to think. But is there anything that happens rarely enough in basketball games that it's funny and you like it, but sort of consistently enough that it's an actual thing? So not like freak accidents, but like things that happen once in a blue moon that make you chuckle, like a ball getting stuck between a backboard and a rim or so on. But yeah, because I saw either this week or in an old game, I don't remember which, something that happens every couple of weeks when you're watching a wheelchair basketball stream and it just kills me every time. Would you like to know what it is for context? I would while I vamp for what my one is. So do you know the way when you're watching some wheelchair basketball games along the bottom, they have the scoreboard and most of the time they will just type the score in every time yeah. someone um, scores or and the time will run down um, just automatically. Sometimes it leads to the score being like, 3.9 sec, like 3.9 minutes to go, which yeah. is annoying. But my favorite thing in the world is when instead of that, they just point the camera. Uh, they have like two cutouts in that little graphic and they point the camera at the oh. scoreboard for each number. And there's also one for the time because inevitably at some point they lose that. So it's yeah. just like the score is red brick wall to Bilbao and uh white ceiling to whatever team but it's the funniest thing in the world where it's just like you're going to check the time in a game and it'll just be like the referee's face my favorite thing it happened in the um japan the, the kitakyushu tournament that uh the gb sort of development squad plus a couple went to recently and it's happened in a couple of league games and it just always makes me laugh because it's really funny because there's a point where it's like what's the score and you can tell the camera's moving around because whoever's nudged it being like oh god oh no where is it where is it but it zoomed in enough it's hard to find that uh, yeah really stupid but it always makes me laugh that's a good one um mine's maybe a little bit plain by comparison but i'm always just beyond baffled when people's wheels come off in a game um yeah. it happens semi not semi regularly but like enough times that it is a thing um i do you remember the time richard noche fouled harry and it took his entire wheel off his chair like including the insert that the um axle pin clicks into it snapped the pin and yeah. the actual frame of the chair didn't it yeah. at once um i remember him being like sorry man i like i tried to follow you not like that and they didn't call it so i had to ramp it up <laughs> like there's a middle ground although we've spoken about the fact that refs don't give enough of the middle ground to let end games play out but yeah um i also can't i was in a game once where someone i was pushing next to their wheel must not have been clicked all the way in and they were like pushing flat out next to me and their wheel just came off on one side um that was like some mad max style stuff um but yeah, I've there's that one. The caster pin snapping is always wild to me. Like, how many cumulative hits do they have to take before mid game the caster wheels either break or the forks break or something? That is madness. Yeah. Um. So yeah, feats of engineering, I guess, is my one, or lack of feats of engineering, perhaps. <laughs> yes, lack of feet. Um. <laughs> Oh, are there? Yeah, plenty of amputees in this first game. Talking about a lack of feet. Well, hey, oh, uh, 
That's, that was one of the good ones, if I just let it happen. <laughs> that um, would be good if you hadn't immediately followed it with. That was one of the good ones. <laughs> if, I, if I didn't stop myself to make sure and, it was fine, realize it was fine. talking about not one of the good ones, Mercia 54, Illunion 99. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, this was... We talk about games about once a week where I'm like, ah, I wanted this to be good, and at least it was for a quarter. This wasn't. Illunion... 28-12 in the first quarter. Big thing, obviously, Mercia missing Lalo, but I don't think you I don't think he does too much to stop the runaway train that is Illunion scoring 99 on a good team. Uh, even on paper, Lalo might get you like in the region of 18 points, but he also historically has bad performances against Illunion because his usual thing is to just muscle around people who are the same size or smaller than him and his game isn't really tailored to go up against a team that has two guys who tower over him. Yeah, I was going to say, are Illunion as well equipped as anyone to be like, hey, no, we've got like four guys that are bigger than you probably? Like, I'd say so. Uh, but yeah, no, that is... that. Yeah, that, this was pretty tough going for um, uh, for Mercia straight away. There were even points where it's like Illunion are like, yeah, we could probably press these guys, which is nuts but um bill 10 from 13 for 20 points is just what are you going to do like you look at bill 10 from 13 tom o'neill 8 from 12 hasso 8 from 11 greg 4 for 6 <laughs> like um what are, what are you going to do with those starters like it's tough going man. this is i'm always wary of the the Illunion, um high scoring tom o'neill thorn game because typically that only really happens when he's either feeling extremely comfortable offensively or he's been given enough kind of leash to get out there and, you know, chase the ball around and make hustle plays and whatever. And when his defense is able to empower his offense like that on a team full of other offensive threats, you get 18 additional points from Tom O'Neill who's, what's his per game average? Let's have a look. Um, so he averages seven. He got up to eighteen on this one. Obviously, that's not the difference between Illunion having their usual kind of seventies and the ninety-nine they got here. But this game looked like Illunion doing their Thuringen tribute act, like they normally roll with, you know, one one big quarter, usually the third quarter to blow teams. I was going to say either the second or the third. Normally, so yeah. they had twenty-eight in the first. I was like, ah, all right. Yeah. So this scores by scores by quarter 28 12 21 15 that one was at least reasonably close mm-hmm. 20 13 I thought I said 30 13 for a second I was like Jesus as well um and then 30 to 14 in the final quarter so yeah 45 point win um yeah it's just that- without we talk about Lalo not being able to fight with these guys um as much as he can push most of the rest of the league around but like even like without him, even more so. Like you look at Illunion's shot chart. Like I'm not like these guys. There's a lot of good shooters in that team, but they're not shooting like 60, 70 percent on their starters because they're taking twenty two footers most of the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're not. It's 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 a lot of layups in there by the end and of when, the game. When you were going to be asking Lalo to wrestle with either Bill and or Hasso is one thing, but when Lalo's replacement in the starting unit is um, putting 
both um, Joaquin Robles, sorry, Joaquin is Joaquin Robles, isn't it? Yeah, um, Joaquin Robles, yeah. Yeah, and Pete Cusack out there. That's probably two guys who combined don't match Lalo's body weight and muscle mass. Yeah, um, so yeah, serious. You're on one in like a, if you're going like okay, you're on the free throw line. Um, these two guys are pushing against you, and whoever moves the other person's chair back two meters wins. I'd probably still back. Yeah, um, Lalo, but yeah, like the um Takeshi's Castle game where they used to have to put the giant suits on and fight the sumo wrestlers. Um, exactly like that. Yeah, but just, man, I just keep going back to like look at that like. Greg, four from six. Greg being that efficient and only taking six shots is very like, oh, cool, we're inside, we're inside, we're inside, cool. Um, Yeah, this is just... Only three assists, apparently, but yeah. Statistical mischief from Illunion, kind of all over this one. Um, Oh, we know eight assists. Sorry, I made that wrong. I was going to say, that seems very wrong. I I read that. I was one line down. Sorry. Um, They're only... Guys who shot below 50% were Terry, who was three from nine, in a similar to what you said with Greg. The majority of his shots got dished inside there. And Pincho was six from 13, so really only one made shot under uh, 50% himself. And Pincho came off the bench, which I don't think they've done all year. So I think this proves they kind of wanted to get out there and set the tone defensively. They held Lee Fryer to eight points on two from 12 shooting. Um, and yeah, man, there was just... Mercier, I don't think, would have held it up to Illunion even with Lalo, but the trickle-down effects of not having Lalo there was severe. And this was probably Illunion's best start-to-finish game of the whole season. Um, yeah. Do you think... Do you think it sort of signaled their intent to go inside that when Hasso picked up two files, they went, right, so we can either put a three in that is a three in Amadou, or we can put Pincho in, who plays as a three but is a four. Like, we can stay on points technically, but now we're going to go for the guy that can just run and gun and get us inside. Not that Pincho can't, but maybe it was just random. Maybe it was like, all right, cool, we're already up. I don't know, but I thought thought that was interesting. I was like, all right, they are going inside. I think that's commonly known as being spoilt for choice, isn't it? Yes, I was going to say, that is a <laughs> good choice to have to make. But yeah, all right. Anything else worth pointing out here? Do you see no, just a couple of tough ones for Mercier in very opposite fashion here. They lost to um, Malaga in a close one last week and following up a surprise four-point loss with a surprising margin of loss, but not a surprise result of a 45-point blowout is is tough sledding. So, you know, they had a good start for the season, but we're going to see what, they made up, what they're made of in these next couple of weeks because they're going to have to get back on track. Yeah, Gran Canaria next is not an easy one, and it's tough because it's like you're back into the games that you probably should be. Well, the games that you're wanting to win anyway, sort of that, like, yeah. upper-mid-table. Yeah, the, the, the top two teams groups become a lot more tough when there is a complete lack of momentum going into them. You would like yeah. to be rolling into that off. You know, it was tough having a Lunion before, but if you could have kept that one to like 10 points, you'd probably go into playing Grand Canaria feeling pretty good. Yeah, hopefully, no, Lalo, hopefully Lalo's back because that gives them more to work with in that particular matchup. Yeah. No, I want to. I, hopefully everyone's back by then. Obviously, Lalo, Lalo and Salazar are back, and the Grand Canaria side of things would be is always a good scrap. So, yep. yeah, that's what we want to see. All right, cool. Moving on. Uh, Talking about 
good inside presence is, I guess, um, to, to have a bad transition. If I just let them go, they'd be fine. It's pointing them out that, make, that makes it the problem. By the lead, 78. Madiba, 64. So this is an undermanned um, uh, Adrian Perez and Matias Mendes, Luis um, Alielos. And I was talking to one of my teammates about this game before, and I was like, nah, I think even John Hernandez, Luis Madiba, I would probably call over just in terms of like what both teams are losing and what they both had in the first place. I'd probably call them, but if you then went, what if Yelmer has 40? I'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I could see it. But yeah, Yelmer 38 on 70% shooting is the, that's the difference maker in this game, man. Obviously. <laughs> that's some, obviously. Some spicy analysis you just put yeah. forward. I was going to say, just like Madiba had nothing for him. There's like there's very little resistance, and yeah, it was great. Kind of got wherever he wanted, though. Um, but even then, getting wherever you wanted, you have to finish at a high clip against a team that still has a lot of size. So definitely fair play. Uh, it's funny so when you're trying to talk about what, like, what's the difference between this game and that and whatever. It's like, ah, oh, the guy has 38. You're kind of that's it. Like, yeah, <laughs> 38 to himself. Which I think, if you go back and check the stats. 38 might be more combined points than Vidalid have scored in all their previous games this season. I was actually going to be like, have Vidalid, halftime's a bit rough, but I was like, have Vidalid had like 38 in three quarters? Yeah. In a handful of games, like as a team. But yeah. Um, Yeah, I had a quick glance at the stat sheet first after watching the game because obviously Mendes, Perez um, out with Argentina. I only noticed after the after watching the game and checking the stats out that Maxi Ruggeri's name isn't on the stat sheet, and that led me to wonder whether he even played for them anymore because Vidalid can too man. Been so utterly nondescript that I was like, oh yeah, he hasn't actually played for them this season. I completely forgot about that. Um, yeah, the only the silver lining, I guess, if you need a silver lining for a win, is I think this might be the first Vidalid stat sheet that Raddy Daggerman's name has actually appeared on all season. Oh, okay. Um, Must be getting closer. Yeah, that's presumably that's how the stats work is on like countdown until debut or like physical distance. Maybe he was on a flight as this um game was tipping off. But yeah, I mean Madiba obviously missing um John Hernandez and Carlos Ocasio. Um those guys were at the Parapans upsetting Canada and making it to the finals. So they're going to the Rapid Charge tournament. Shouts to them. Um, but yeah, Madiba Carlos Gazio plays for Puerto Rico, so he wasn't really upsetting anyone, but yeah, John was. Well, you're upsetting me by pointing out my flaws. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm I so did. sorry. If we didn't point it out, Mendel would point it out in a week's time. So <laughs> I get my get my South Americans mixed up. Um, but yeah, Enzo Trebuchet with 25 sleep Madiba. I don't know if I would have called them to win this one just from. This is a slightly cruel way to phrase it, but I feel like even with both teams down, guys, Violet just strike me as the more serious team. Um, I would have hoped they'd have pulled this out because they've been gradually bringing the pieces over one by one. Um, their new guy, Amir Reza Amadi, has had a decent impact. I think he had 13 points, 13 assists in this one. He's been a little bit of a shot in the arm for what they needed. They're still theoretically waiting on Dagerman and Hadi Azar, which it's probably too late in the year to mount a real charge now, but they got their first win 
38 from Yelma. Who knows, man? If Yelma has 38 every game and Dagerman and Hadi Azar shows up, show up, then they might go undefeated for the rest oh, of the season. They'll be in business. Um, they'll have to play two ones as well. But yeah, they'd be um, in business. Are we going to rule Yelma out for the belt just because he only had six rebounds? No, I don't think we are. <laughs> That's okay. fine. Um, yeah, he more rebounds. He'd had more rebounds if he missed more shots. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Burgos 64, uh, Malaga 67. So yeah, this was a little weird. Um, <laughs> Uh, pretty close game all the way through, and then a really like it was 65 64 to Malaga, about three minutes to go, and then just no one scored. So, down the end of the game, you have like um, Abdi misses one from the left wing, um, Burgos go up the other end, don't really get a whole lot. Um, there's a couple of missed sort of contested perimeter shots that are kind of half post-ups. The defender gets close enough. Um, they go up and down. Um, Kyle misses a three. Um, bit of contact on the chair, probably late enough that the referee was like, nah, you got it up. I don't care. Um, but yeah, could have called that. It goes back and forward and still no one scores. So Malaga going for a rebound with like 20 seconds to go. They, someone misses a shot. They go for the rebound and um, I think it's I mean Sparsa, forgive me if I'm wrong, comes in, um, tries to pull a rebound down over the top of Yasmin Salas and like files her, which sends her to the line with I think it's 19 seconds to go. Uh she misses them both. Uh I don't remember how the ball ends up going out of play, but basically um oh yeah, that was it. Malaga, sorry, there was a bit longer to go. Malaga get um Malaga pull the rebound down, get nothing from their offense, and then Burgos try and go long, like someone leaks out and they overthrow a fast break pass. So it's you had the ball down one with twenty something seconds to go. You turn it over, and then you go right. So we need to press because Malaga are inbounding with nineteen. There you go. There's the nineteen seconds. Um, Malaga are inbounding with nineteen seconds. They go to press and. Sandoval just gets a breakaway layup. Like he just breaks through their press, gets a layup, puts them up three, game over, yep. which is so funny. Like it's just Malaga had like good looks to maybe put it away. Didn't, um, didn't do it. Didn't get it done. They keep Burgos in the game, keep them alive. Burgos turn the ball over and then give someone a one on zero breakaway when they're pressing to try and. Like, you're not even pressing to stop someone at that point. You're pressing to file. Like, if you can't get enough of a chair on someone to file, it's it's a tough gig. But, yeah, yeah so it was wild. It's a weird one because the um, the busting, the solo press buster and one-on-zero layup usually happens at some point in about the first quarter of any given game where a press is involved. Yeah. And, like, the other team is like, hey, Let's throw this on and see if we surprise them. And then you give up a layup and they're like, okay, yeah, we're not gonna like he's just gonna that was the old Simon Munn thing where he would just try and make somebody foul him, and if they didn't foul him, he would just push past them and get a layup. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've seen him do that where I've yeah. like been in a I was at like one friendly tournament while he was still playing, and I remember we were getting pressed and beaten up by Brazil. It was in Brazil actually, we were just getting absolutely wrecked. And then I remember he gets subbed in, just freight trains through them, 
And because we were all like, wow, this is pretty bad, like contact wise, like all going at the refs. And he went, see, didn't even touch me. Bit of respect. Like <laughs> just uh, the idea that they didn't touch him because they respect him. <laughs> Very funny to me. But yeah. Yeah. Um I mean, yeah, the, it was weird that this game came away to a breakaway layup for two points when we'd had five minutes of overtime and the score had been 3-2. Um, that This at seven combined points might be the lowest scoring overtime period I've ever seen. Um, also, but, I don't remember, but in my mind, that feels like that's wrong and it wasn't overtime, but like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I'm just... I watch these all on like Sunday, absolutely brain dead. So, well, full disclaimer: I didn't watch this one because this was the one that was streamed on the artist formerly known as Twitter. And there's that quote circulating, wasn't there, about Elon Musk saying that he didn't buy Twitter for the business side of it; he did it because he thought it was best for humanity. And apparently, when he bought it being best for humanity, his definition of best for humanity is people going there to watch Malaga and Burgos. I mean. Even I would put that as a stretch, as Burgos is number one fan. Yeah, it's uh, a place to hide wheelchair basketball games, apparently. <laughs> I, well, no, I think it's just really funny that the Spanish Federation are putting games on Twitter in the year of our Lord, 2023, awesome. as a way to get people to see. That. It's like having a poster for you, like, hey, I'm looking for uh, band members, and you like go and stick it on the Titanic while it's sinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, hey, have you found my dog? And you go and like stick it in the Titanic. It's it's pointless. Sorry, what are man. we doing here? Um, I mean, the the high point of this one was we did get a true case of. Um, I don't know what word to to replace this with, but a certain measuring contest going on between um Jaime Esparza and Flacco Matias. So. Flacco, 13 from 28 from the floor, 10 of 18 from 2, 3 of 10 from 3. Um, six, 6 assists to 6 turnovers, a little bit steep. Esparza, 14 from 30 from the floor, 14 of 30 from 2. That's pretty unusual. Um, I, oh, I love that. Last time I love I, it so much. I saw 40. Uh, sorry, 30 two-point shots is, is wild. He also had 20 one rebounds to go with his 29 points. That's like his best Dirk Passavano pre- impression on that one. Um oh, I just love gunners, man. Like I just this is my favorite thing in the world. Like you went, hey, these guys took 60 shots between them. <laughs> Sweet. So we, yeah. um, we got the we got kind of that perimeter duel going on. Um and then I think really what it came down to was on, in terms of the inside game, Salvador Sandoval was just way, way more effective than anyone from Burgos. Christian yeah. Gomez with 10, Martin Arredondo with 16, but a lot of those were just spot-ups. And... I was going to say, Christian Gomez isn't really an inside guy. Like, no, I think, is, I think you could give him a lane to the basket and he'd be like, nah, come here. Yeah. <laughs> Comes up my foot plate. The points in the paint, uh, 42 for Malaga, 28 for Burgos, and in a, a three-point game, and no two points bigger than that uncontested breakaway layup. Points in the paint will get you. So, yeah, shouts to Malaga, man. They they beat Mercia last week, and it would have been, you know, I'm somewhat of a Malaga skeptic and have been, but they're, they're certainly converting me because I would have told you with no Burgos bias, there would have been nothing more the Malaga of previous seasons than scoring a good upset win against Mercia just to then blow one against Burgos, but they've 
successfully not slipped on that banana skin. So that has to be recognized from them. Yeah, fair play. Racking them up. Should we, All right. Should we move on? Um, talking about racking them up, I racked up some serious traveling hours to get to this game. <laughs> Uh, Vigo 72, Bilbao 98. So thank God we got it done. I had um, I had a wild couple of days getting to this game. I know we kind of referenced it last week, but um, should I bother taking people through exactly what I went through to get there? Yeah, I think you should, because I called you Axel Rose in the intro last week, and I was really hoping it was because you could storm on late and be like the, the front man and be like, hey, don't worry, I'm here. The show can start now. But you were there in time. Yeah, I got there early. Like, not early, but I got there like five minutes before I was meant to get there, which is right on time, Uh, really. Like, that's not early. That's just common courtesy. But yeah, so (laughs) I, on Friday, was back in Belfast because I was lucky enough to get some award from my old university, which was very cool, very grateful. Shout out to those guys. It was this big fancy... uh, evening with like a dinner and it was black tie so everyone was dressed up and it was really cool and it was real fancy and it was all very above me and it was one of those where you're like this is fancy enough that I don't feel like I should be here and then you realize you're like I was invited because they're giving me an award I probably should be here um so for that to make that which was 6 45 Belfast time I had to go I was up at four on Friday 4 a.m so we trained to like half 10 I was back home sometime after 11 on Thursday night, Friday morning. I go 4 a.m. and I fly Bilbao to London, London to Belfast. I have a couple of hours in Belfast, but I'm running around and sorting things out and also kind of seeing my family. Like my dad was with me at the evening, but I saw my sister for five minutes. Um, So I get back, get ready, do all that, go to the event. It's really cool. I feel very fancy and um. Yeah, it was great and did a big interview in front of people and a lot of video stuff and um, shook a lot of hands, met a lot of people that are more important than me and remember half their names. Um, Met about 30 people, remember about 10 names. But uh, that was really cool. And then the day after, I was up at 4 again. So that was 4 a.m. to midnight and then up again at 4 a.m. Um and then I went Belfast, London, London, Madrid, Madrid, Vigo. Uh, and if everything went really well, I was going to land in Vigo at like 10 past four for a game that tipped at six. Uh, and it was like a 20 minute journey from the airport. So it was like pretty tight. Um, I nearly got left in Madrid because uh, special assistance in Madrid is terrible. So... I landed with two hours and 20 minutes to make a connection. I had to change terminals, but like that's still plenty of time. And they took an hour for, for me to get off the plane. Um, they just left me on the first plane for an hour. And when they finally got me off, I was like, hey, you guys have kind of done me in here. Is there any way you can help me get there so I get there quicker? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no worries. But we'll, you'll have to wait for someone to come sort you out. So I waited another like half an hour for that. So all my wiggle room was just taken by special assistance. And I made check-in by two minutes to get to Vigo. So that would be the worst possible outcome if you make it most of the way and then you're just stuck in Madrid because it's not really that close to anywhere that I want to go. I'd have to just stay to Madrid for a night. But So I make it, get to the game, and yeah, thankfully got it 
done fairly handily. We were up a couple of hairy moments first, second quarter where they put a they put a bit of a run together, but um, won the first quarter by nine, and then kind of went from there. Ended up not having to play forty minutes, which was nice. We got some of the young fellas in. Um, because obviously the big thing is we were missing, well, we have been missing Pat and Mariana for a good while, and we were also missing Asier for this game. So, yeah, pretty pretty rough. I didn't feel like a human for about three days. Um, which, which is funny, because you shot probably your best percentage of the season. It says four from four here, but you also got wiped out on a layup attempt, so I think you are at least four from five. Um, um, yeah, no, I got swatted on a layup, which they didn't Kind of a shot attempt, and I also missed one in the um, third quarter at some point. So I'm that, four from five or four from six, depending on whether you count blocks. That is the the ultimate disrespect is um, getting blocked so badly it doesn't go down as a shot attempt. But also you um, you transitioned into talking about the game too smoothly because I was going to wait for you to finish talking about your travel and then just be like, right, shall we move on? Yeah, no, but I literally like I figured it out in between Saturday, between Friday morning and Saturday night. I traveled for twenty four hours and slept for seven. That's pretty good, which is rough. Uh, yeah, it probably should be the other way around, though. Ideally, <laughs> um, oh man, sleeping for twenty four hours in a two day period sounds great right yeah. now. But, yeah, um, so big story on this one is David Maurice did what he does when um, no one else is there to sort of take the game over he's like right don't worry guys i know you need it i'll do it um like whoever's missing he just kind of assumes all of those shots which is amazing and i love it i was gonna ask you when david hears going back to your season a couple of years ago when david finds out asia's out what like intro music do you think he hears in his head do you think it's like the john cena (laughs) like the really bombastic like here i am um, it's Stone Cold, doesn't it? Yeah, it, um, just because if there's ever a wheelchair bound Stone Cold Steve Austin, it might be David Maurice, but yeah, so he goes 36 points on 15 from 30 shooting, but it's like 16 twos and 14 threes, and like it's not bad. Like he goes 62% from two, which is great, and he goes 35% from three, which is like about fine, like that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, in the wheel dragon, especially, it's that's what that's what the people want, um, but yeah, also, he carried it. Five, five fouls received as well. I saw that as five fouls personal on the stats for a second there, and I was like, man, he could have gone even more wild if he hadn't fouled out with a few minutes left. But yeah, he, we had a joke because we went to we went there last year, and I don't know what happened. Whether Asier was like fouled out or whatever, or maybe it was two years. It must have been two years ago because he shot twenty one threes. Oh so yeah, I do remember. As that. soon as this was marked on the calendar at the start of the week, I was like, "Hey, you, you got to get them up." Um, <laughs> well, like at halftime, I looked at how many he'd shot, and I was like, "Hey, you've got this many left. You got to go." But um, yeah, he went nuts. Which kind of everything else that we did was generated based off the back of that, and. It's tough for an undermanned Vigo to kind of stick with because they are without Lewis Edwards still. And they this can't then have to go two low pointers and uh, Alejos and then either um, Oscar Knight, two of Oscar Knight, um, Jason Betancourt and uh, Julio Vilas. So they kind of, they're undermanned at that point. In yeah. terms of points, just. The... Um... 
the big news on the Vigo front for this one is our devious scheme from last week's podcast worked and we after telling Oscar Knight to message us if he was interested uh, he then did so and when I told him James will have a word with you and sort out the episode um, recording slot we appear to have psyched him out because he had probably his worst game of the entire season so far so the moment got too big for him and wanting to you know rack the points up so he could rub it in when he does eventually come on the podcast he became consumed by that and he was only 2 of 16 so you can thank me for getting us the win on this one for God's sake. Um, nah, man, that's like he's that's a credit to him at this point that he's what eight, nine games into the league and we spent a good portion of our time talking about him, um, figuring how to stop him. Like, which um, is funny because you spent no time talking about yes on Betancourt, who had 23 points on 10 of 18 shooting, and you, yeah, ridiculous, right? I like ignored him, get despite the fact he is clearly the biggest guy on either team you're like oh, I don't have to worry about it but he was like extending like he had at yeah. least like eight points probably from outside the pins and I was like what I've never seen this guy shoot from outside the charge circle in my life but yeah wow. we yeah like we are scoring 98 it's all well and good but 72 is too much for Vigo to be scoring on us we need to sort of go back to the drawing board and figure that out but yes yeah pretty good like the game like that, we were we actually like all jokes aside, were a little we were wary of it, like being down Asier and Pat and Mariana and down lineups, and obviously me basically. We spent all week being like, I don't even know if I'm going to get there. Um, but yeah, um, good to take care of business because that was one of the one of the ones we had a little stretch there that we were like, right, let's not slip up on any of these, and we already did in Mercia. So you kind of get into the point where you're like, oh, we can't really can't really drop another another one that we shouldn't um but yeah when you shoot like we did it, we, you kind of take care of business yeah cool right shall we move on because we'll not spend a huge amount of time on the next game no all right uh amiab 85 getafe 41 did you spend any real time caring about this i watched uh, a bit and then was like ah this is going about how i thought it would except yeah. for the fact that the scoreboard counted up rather than down which is the funniest thing in the world the um the only time i spent watching this was i think there was a period where this one was playing during what was the half time of a bunch of other games so i watched that stretch um and i think Ben Fox was Amiab's top scorer with 32 on. Oh, wow. 32 from Ben. And I think something like 12 of his points came in the four minute stretch that I watched. So I watched that. I was like, yeah, okay, this is everything I need to know here. Um, yeah, Ben with 32, Philipski with 23, and then 10 from Alexis Ruiz and a bunch of single figure chip ins gets Amiab to 85. Uh, tough Nobody slip. manning in this one, obviously. Yeah. Um, as worth noting, generally, um, another tough one for Hitafe missing Rodrigo Perez again, who um was with that Colombia team, and yeah, even a full strength Hitafe, I would have been surprised if the score had really looked any different. But twenty three from Paco Kilas on reasonable efficiency, that's something to something to take from this. That's not an easy team to be the sole source of offense against, but. No, in 39 minutes and 60 seconds, according yeah. to this stats. Um, what was I going to say? Um, imagine the thing we talked about where 
um david's like all right these guys are missing i must assume their um shot totals um yeah. imagine if it was the opposite where like a guy like rodrigo's missing who takes 15 threes a game and he's like no 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 no, you have to and he's trying to like give them away sitting like between the team they're like oh we have to shoot 15 threes meet the quota yeah that'd be really funny it was like instead of sharing them out like putting them on people whether they like them or not that's so funny <laughs> Right. So Should we shift on? Speaking of putting it on people, Cologne 69, Hanover 66. And this one was fundamentally bizarre to me in several ways. Very weird. Um, I've got a little bit of a, not rant, but I, I did a little bit of a deep dive when I was increasingly confused by the results of this game. So do you want to go first? Um, No, I'd be interested to hear your um deep dive this is one of those games as well where you see that it's a single like a single possession win and you're like oh cool did someone no 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 it was it was not a game winner it was 68 60 and then Hanover execute well enough to bring it back to a certain point and then kind of didn't like their last I didn't like the play that was drawn up for their last play because you end up not getting a good look off it but um it's not a bad it's not a bad play to run but yeah Pretty tough when you don't get that good a look yeah. from you need a three. But I guess when it's like you need a three full stop, it's pretty tough because I don't know if a team knows that you're not going to go to the basket at that point. But yeah, I don't know. Like seven seconds, I think it was. So it's like, yeah, that's probably not enough time for them to get to the hoop and then file and then shoot again. But um, yeah, this was this was bizarre. Um, I don't know if it was like Cologne or maybe just like apart from a couple of weird ones, Cologne are probably just better than we think they are. Well, no, look at Codal with twenty four because he's yeah. the man. Um, last year, this is where I land on Cologne. Last year, Cologne, we obviously we don't have to watch these games because we do this podcast for ourselves, but we watched Cologne and they were a slog and like yeah, it was I, real weird. Do not remember a good Cologne game from any point last year. Um, this year, they I don't know if they equal the sum of the parts most of the time, but one thing I will say for them is they are thoroughly unpredictable. And in any given game, you don't know whether they're going to lose to Trio by 25, um, play Zvik out even over 40 minutes, and then outscore them 14 to 1 in five minutes, or you don't know if they're going to beat Hanover, who are presumably a playoff team in Germany, um, in relatively convincing fashion, barring a late rally from Hanover. But um, I think Hanover was spooked, man. They Their entire offensive game plan was to not try and get to the basket because they were worried about the size that Cologne have now that they've seemingly committed full-time to this starting lineup of Balut Cadal and Thomas Ryer as the dual bigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a peek at Hanover's shot chart um i think you can filter this so it just shows you the one team yeah you can yeah you can. um so if you look at hanover's shot chart the left side being the first half they get a decent number of looks inside the paint um sorry right inside is the first half i believe um they get a decent number of looks and then the second half they get one shot at the charge circle and everything else that they make at the very least is like elbows and free throw line area. Yeah, a lot of um, Tommy McHugh, it's a lot of a lot of Tom McHugh 
elbow post-ups. Yeah, they were running the, their wing pick and roll as well, and the bigs were like getting the inside position, taking half a push, and then just pulling up like with whoever they picked out, just you know, trapped on their back wheel, not really attempting to get the basket at all. And the one like charge circle shot they did get was, I think, a wide open like cheat layup that they then just threw the ball ahead on. Um, and yeah, man, they they did not want any part of the size that Cologne had on them. And then they generated the shots they wanted and just didn't make them. It felt like, I think you could argue as to whether they should have just, you know, if your plan is don't go to the basket because we're going to get smothered, you may as well try and go to the basket if your alternative is to then miss a lot of the shots that you claim that you would like to have. Yeah, I think that is the that is the sort of logical endpoint of like jump shooting teams where it's like, all right, but you're gonna have days every so often, even if you're like a good team that's built to shoot the ball um from the mid-range, like teams that are kind of a steady diet of just jump shooting, you need to be unbelievable for it to work all the time. And it doesn't like I I played for Grand Canaria, like I, I know that well, but we had like enough going to the basket every so often with like obviously Mandel going inside and like Jorge would get to the basket from playing the perimeter enough that I don't know like if a team shoots mid 50s 60s it's probably not that they're shooting 60s from mid range it's that they're shooting 40s from a certain spot and then bump it up by getting layups and this that and the other most of the time there are exceptions but the exceptions are like supreme talent or good days so yeah you gotta yeah, like at what point do you go right now? We need to get to the basket because it's not going. Like yeah, you need to take yeah. the lid off the hoop every so often, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And especially when Cologne have probably outside of Tom McHugh, they have the next two biggest guys in the game. I don't know if McHugh's the same size as Kodal or slightly smaller, maybe. Um, but yeah, Thomas Ryer, I thought, has turned Cologne's year around a little bit just with his yeah. kind of he brings an up and down element that they were their offense had a tendency to be a little bit ponderous beforehand, um, where they were just kind of floating, and he has no time for such things. And yeah, I thought weird one from Hanover, especially all that stuff we say about getting to the basket, especially when you look at the fact they made 10 of 11 free throws. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, they the other team is fouling you because I fully expected having gone to have a look at this i fully expected hanover to have not even cracked double digit free throws given the number of you know semi-contested semi-open not really attacking shots they took um and yeah man i thought they really played into cologne's hands on this one i thought cologne made the most of it and on top of that robin pongovich as he seems to do any time a game is semi-close made just enough shots to stem the Hanover run on two or three occasions and see I would love to be able to drill down on Robin's numbers when it's like Cologne ahead by four points and the other team having scored you know four or six straight because yeah. I would guarantee you he shoots like 80% on those possessions and then probably like 30% the rest of the time oh man imagine if the stats like that were actually available like is it like second spectrums the NBA one where you can just put yeah. the most bizarre sort of filters on but um yeah like their run to kind of stretch it out a little bit was robin makes enough shots that they kind of gap and then that gets them inside off the back of that and it's like at what point do you go all right cool you're going to shoot us into it or you're going to shoot us out of it um if you're hanover but yeah 
Also, made personal, enough shots that you had to think about it, and then you're giving up layups all of a sudden. Personal favorite stat from this game: Matthias Heimbach, thirty minutes, very few conventional stats: one rebound, three turnovers, one steal, three personal fouls, plus fourteen. Despite having barely any positive stats to speak of, that's that, what that's what we're about, isn't it? <laughs> that's what we that's what we do here. Yeah, right. Shouts to Cologne. Um, Way, way to steal one, you know, yeah. especially after dropping to um, to Munich and stuff like that earlier in the year. This was a good one to level things back up. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one, uh, Iguanas 62, Zvikal 56. Um, I thought, I thought um, Munich were going to run away with this one when the first quarter was 21-13. And then it was interesting to, it's always funny to watch a game where a team gets up by a certain amount, and then they're like, oh, why can't we do that again? Like, just fending off another team making a comeback. But, um, yeah, Zvikau sort of made a push for it, won the second and fourth quarter, but just wasn't enough to recover from that first quarter. And, yeah, another good win for Munich off the back of uh, game-winner Lucas's um, last, last week heroics. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Florian Mack, uh, um, top scoring this one with twenty three, and yeah, that was kind of it's funny when you go like twenty three, and then you, it's the do the rest of these numbers add up to the total thing that we well, talk about? But yeah, six, yeah, sixty two is not a massive total to have to reach, but um, mm. I think Munich. This is an interesting one because obviously these are the two newly promoted teams in Germany. I think they've both proved themselves to be beyond the caliber of the team that typically gets promoted and spends most of yeah, the year. Hot as a, rolling bears. As a that's twice you <laughs> twice you've had a dig at that those guys. No, it's just a really funny name. Like I just want to I, I don't get to talk about the fact that the team called the Essen Hot Rolling Bears. That's I miss them. um yeah I think they've both proven to be above the typical standard of the team that like yo yo's up and down. But you know when you're newly promoted, we've said this before you have essentially two objectives or one and a half objectives. And it is number one, bank enough wins that you're not going to go back down. Um, Munich are now four wins and four losses. So I think even if they were to go the rest of the year without winning a game, which seems unlikely at this point, I think they're probably safe. Yeah, Um, probably good. And yeah, kind of semi-objective, you know, hidden side quest is improve enough throughout the year that you know you're not you're you're a better team by the end of the season than you were when you first came up and learn from the games and in the process hopefully impress somebody enough who might look at this and be like hey munich looks like a pretty cool place to live and a decent team and they're going somewhere yeah um and yeah i think on both of those fronts munich ahead of zwickau but zwickau certainly not hopeless by any stretch and this was a competitive game between two flawed but quite entertaining to watch teams, I think is the the fairest way to frame these guys. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Like I don't dread sticking the worst team in the league game on. Even like Spain comparatively, like I think the top end of Spain is more competitive. But I mean like the top end, I mean like the majority of the league from the top yeah. down, but then kind both of the, both the these teams would have their way with Hitafe, I would say. Or For sure. Yeah, that's um, what I would say. And yeah, I think this was Germany is in a pretty good spot. I thought I think Munich also 
barring that game against Cologne, which crept into the 70s in overtime, Munich have convincingly showed the ability to keep games in the 50s and 60s and be able to win those. Mm-hmm. For, you know, they're probably not going to roll that out when they play Thuringen this weekend, spoiler alert. But, um, you know, if you can do that against all but the top two teams in the league, you're going to make yourself competitive for the long run. And Zwickau, I think, will probably look back at this one at some point being like, man, we've got the pieces to be better than this team at least, but they haven't proven it yet. And I think they look much more in need of an offensive flow than Munich do, even though Munich's offensive flow is see which one of our bigs is shooting well. and then Yeah, like it's like they're playing tennis. At the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought good game overall, much, much you know, improved from watching, like you say, Rolling Bears and whoever else, Sky Wheelers last year. Um, but yeah, I thought this was, this was a good one and impressed with both these teams overall. Yes. <laughs> Team right. I was not impressed by. Let's do this one. Okay, Munsterland finally getting a good win. Um, 48. Um, Ryan River Rhinos, 41. So we saw them we saw Rhinos kind of survive playing without Aaron Young and Mikey Pay last week against Skywheelers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Right. This was a step too far for them. They um they lost to Munsterland, who needed to pick up a win and kind of I wouldn't call Munsterland to get near a full strength Rhinos, so this is good timing for them. But yeah, did it without even being that convincing, it was just Ryan, River Rhinos are kind of undermanned at this point, and they're playing, they play into thirteen points probably. Um, the the single greatest um, frustration. Yeah, they are playing to thirteen. Sorry, yeah. Just the single sure. greatest frustration of watching this Wiesbaden team without three of their players is. You've got Kea Keita on the bench, and they look so far under points. You're like, surely you can get that guy in, but he is half a point too high to go in yeah. for Nico Drymuller. And so the only alternative you can do is put him in either for Moji Kamali or um, Heiss. Um, and go even further under. Go even further under. And then you're like, man, how come they can't get this guy in? And it's like, because there are the two mids on there. And he works great as part of a three mids lineup, but a three mids lineup doesn't work when you only have one mid. Exactly. Um, they have a three on the bench, but I don't really know who it no, is. I couldn't tell you a great deal about it. Like, there was a point last week where they were struggling to get it going, and actually, Keita looked better on the floor than Moji Kamali at one point, just for like they just were lacking structure. Um, yeah, I think well, lacking he, your coach. Also, he also doesn't, I think it was fine against Skywheelers, but he also probably isn't that suited to being out there against as like. A primary focus of the offense against a team like Munsterland with probably four guys who are as big or bigger than he is. Yeah, there's a lot of times where he'd be like, Right, I've come off a pick, but I don't want to send it inside because there's a one on the block. Yeah. Can I post this person up? And the answer was always no. Yeah. Um, so that kind of led to pretty inefficient scoring. But if you if you shoot twenty nine percent, you're not gonna win a game against a half decent team. Um, I was saying Munsterland didn't even need to be that convincing, but there were just times where in a game that goes to less than 50, if you're able to get down the floor, find a mismatch, throw it to one of your four bigs on a baseline mismatch and make two in a row. It's like, hey, two in a row is a lot right now. 
an insurmountable lead. Four yeah. points. It's that thing, uh, like I, I've joked about it before, but like I've been watching some like international women's basketball that a lot of the games typically in the world championships went to fifties and sixties. Um, some of the better like GB women's games because they're defensively pretty great. They can win games going to 50. And there was one point where it was like, Oh, this team's down eight and it might be over. Yeah. Absolutely. Just from like comparatively. And you're so used to if a game goes to 75 or 80 and eight percent. So there's like a percentage of the total points in a game that's like insurmountable and it's yeah but if this game goes to 50 like if you put a good run on like they want to um that they want a couple of quarters by seven or eight and it's like yeah that's yeah, yeah tough gig a chasm in this game um so yeah Munsterland's first win of the year i think not to discredit them um this will get written off as you know a flute game where Wiesbaden obviously missing a handful of key contributors. I think there's even, you know, if you were to replay this exact game with these lineups 20 times, I think you could even say Wiesbaden probably pulled the win out over half the time on this one. This was just an exceptionally bad performance with not a whole lot of cards left to play. Um, yeah. And yeah, credit to Munsland for snagging it when they needed to. They certainly did try their hardest to give it away when... <laughs> They were up 32, what was that, 17 at halftime and then got outscored. You know, the lead got chopped in half yeah. by the end of the third quarter. And it's like, oh, Jesus, they can't lose this one as well. But they pulled it out. Um, and yeah, this was, you know, when you're six or seven games into the year and you've had a couple of close ones stolen from you, you certainly won't complain about welcoming an undermanned team and you're not going to be banging your fists and saying, no, we want to play somebody who's at full strength. No. You'll you'll take it. Um, all right. Should we shift on? Yep. Cool. Landil eighty seven. Skyrulers twenty six. Uh this was kind of a glorified layup line for Landil <laughs> at times. Um, I, don't, I don't even know if glorified is is really that accurate. unglorified. No. Yeah, um, that's not glorious about this. Um, yeah, this is Landil running in layups and then rotating and everyone playing double figures minutes against the team probably at the bottom of the league this was i think this is game eight in germany isn't it but this is um this was very much undefeated team against defeated team was how how this one looked oh wow um, yeah this was landil got four guys into double figures so matas with 20 tommy sorry with 21 tommy bone with 21 mendel with 13 Rayo with 11 so yeah, it's generally a pretty good sign when your primary four offensive options you want to feed the ball to are all getting into double figures. Um, that speaks to you know your level of comfort with the matchup. And by contrast, Skywheels led with eight points from Tim Diedrich and a couple of fours and twos here and there. And yeah, this one was thirty to two after the first quarter. And yeah, that was shocking. Even even though I knew this game would go this way and it would be a blowout, I saw thirty to two on Instagram on the Instagram story of the Landell page, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I, I certainly um, I ruffled some feathers recently. I imagine when I said that I think Landell aren't really merciless enough to um, to put it on weak competition, and they only tend to step it up for the big games. They're out to show me. I uh, don't think they think about you. Um, <laughs> yeah, Landell probably does. 
but um also <laughs> you'll never believe what this guy said nah. um quinton's yeah. on the go with a game leading plus 54 is always great katavai's just behind him with plus 50 which is also nuts yeah so rayo in 20 minutes with plus 26 so rayo in and of himself was plus the total amount of points that skywheelers scored in the game so he could have probably probably played them on his own and maybe come away with the win. That would have been pretty cool. And I always think Quentin, it's funny when there's guys that play like a handful of minutes on like a, a team that gets blown out and they're in the plus. There was no one here, but it's always funny to be like, oh man, if you just played that guy for 40 minutes, which is just like, oh no, if you just stepped in front of a moving car, like <laughs> ah, there's probably a handful of people that have stepped in front of moving cars in any given wheelchair basketball game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Last one. Um, this was Tria Dolphins 63, Thuringa Bulls 83. I would like to personally apologize to Tria Dolphins because um, skipping around through games and trying to keep an eye on everything. I saw this one, I think, early in the third quarter, if I remember correctly, was 45-43 to the Bulls, and we just had our big spiel about how um, Trier seem much improved based on something we can't quite nail down and I was like oh my days this is proof of concept if ever there was so I headed on over to that game and from that point the remaining score was 38 to 20 so um, I can only apologize for whatever, whatever um, bad vibes my presence brought to the live stream um, this one was really close for like two and a bit quarters, and then the Bulls did their thing. Yeah, Bulls found, found that extra gear where they yeah. pushed a little harder, beat people up a bit more, get a bit more physical, and also Jordy had thirty. Yeah, uh, like, and also, what are we talking about? Jordy had thirty. Yeah, uh, Jordy with thirty for throwing, and he's probably been their best player start to start the season up to this point. I would say. Um, Bulls with no Vahid, so Hubahara was in the game. He had 18 on 13 shots. Haluski had 19. Um, Dirk Passavan, our third 30-shot contributor to this week's podcast, he had 30 points on 30 shots and 22 rebounds. Um, no small feat against a team with the size of Thuringen. But we talked at some amount of length about Trier's supporting cast last week. Um, they got a little bit found out and brought back down to earth when Walter Vlanderen, who's been very effective against most of the German league, is just not in the same sphere as the Bulls' bigs. And he was getting swallowed up inside. He got four shots away in the entire game. He was three from four. And the Bulls have the mobility and the ability to jump shooters and worry about the rest later that they're able to take Patrick Dorner away as well. Yeah. Um so that's, that's a real thing, isn't it? Where you're like, hey, I, I I I don't need to care about what goes on behind me if I jump this shooter because there's enough size and enough chair skills that like someone will someone will figure it out. And you're also you're not leaving it up to chance at that level. You know what's happening behind you because you're talking about it and they're talking back. But it's like that is a real luxury to be like, ah, we'll be fine. I'm just gonna go. Someone someone will save me. Sure. Um one thing I would like to point out um on the Trier side. Um, small thing that I don't know if people have spotted it kind of flew under the radar for me a little bit they've added Marika Miller to their team who I think was playing in Germany's second division and has made the step up mid-season mm-hmm. um, shouts to her 
Trier also put 12 straight points on Thuringen in the second quarter, and that might be the most consecutive points I've ever seen anyone put on Thuringen. Yeah, with surprising. the possible exception of Landil the other week, but I can't. I know that was like 18 4 at one point, but I can't remember how the points got um, sequenced. But yeah, I thought pretty good Trier performance overall, and Thuringen just, you know, credit to anybody who can hang around against them, but. I, you know, you're not going to hang around against them up to the point where all of a sudden you sneak up on them and grab the win in the closing seconds. They're, they're going to put the run on you at some point, and they were able to do that mostly on the back of Jordi in this case. So, yeah, they they pulled it out from what could have been a very strange and confusing loss, but not their usual completely dominant showing. But no, you, you like you could have seen this being. Like even though Dolphins are a better team and they're on the way up and they've looked good this season, you could have seen this be like eighty six forty one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, fair play for it not being that. But yeah, so that's us done for the week. I think. Do that is us. Any belt considerations? Um, I would be tempted to go Yelma, but. I don't know if I want to reward a team that's just getting their first win of the year. Like first win of the year should be a bigger. That's a good thing. No. <laughs> well, it is, but we're <laughs> it's nearly December. Um, yeah, but like then finally getting it is good. So it's yeah. that's that's a possibility. Uh, David had thirty six. That's a possibility. Ben had thirty two. Uh, that's um, a possibility, but that's against Getafe. Yeah, <laughs> like me, like I would have thirty-two against Gaddafi combined if I play in Spain for another ten years. But like, that doesn't mean it's good. It means I'm bad. Yeah. Um, that always makes me laugh. Like if I say anything about another player, and someone's like, "Yeah, but you X Y Z," you're like, "Me bad does not mean that good." Like, um, I would go David just because I think I think the fact that he is able to just conjure these performances when he feels like it's needed of him is the most inherently belt worthy. Of all attributes, sure. Okay, that's, that's my entire reasoning behind it, and that's it, it. Was either not... him or the one pointer from Cologne, who was like one assist, three turnovers, three files, plus fourteen in a yeah. win, which is the actual most bench units thing of all time. Man, it feels like there's been a lot of these this this year so far, where we feel the need to like divide the belt, but yeah, but we never do because you can't yeah. divide a belt. So. Yeah, you... That would be Cobalt. Cobalt is ridiculous because you can't just put it on two people at once. That's a valid point. Yeah, David right. is. David it is. All right. Sweet. Thanks very much for listening. Um, and yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.